What is up guys and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And I'm James. And I am pleased to say that joining us today via the miracle that is the interwebs, we have Tom from Mayfly Games. How are you doing, Tom? Hello. I'm really, really great. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Tom. So we have you here for a bit of an interview and to get to know you a bit better. Are you a bit excited about that? I yeah I am actually it's um I've not really spoken about Mayfly games or or what I'm doing in person on a podcast or any sort of thing before so yeah I'm really excited actually thank you yeah good good well I mean Mayfly games is is something that uh, we are definitely going to delve into a little bit later but I think before we get to that we'd like to know a little bit about you personally <laughs> and maybe your journey to get to this point so. Where did your sort of hobby journey start um, and what are your sort of earliest memories from, from gaming? Well, you know, growing up, you know, I'm 30 now, uh, but we had house parties from teenager all the way up until through university. And whenever we were going out to the pubs and that, beforehand, we would always get together at houses and play games, you know, board games or card games on the shelf. Um, and nine out of 10 times, no one's got a game that anyone wants to play. And I'm always the person in the group that can make a game out of anything. You give me a deck of cards, a handful of bottle caps, some used batteries, I can probably make some sort of game that eliminates players or gets us all in, in, in the kind of mood to play together. Nice. Um, I, I really see the value in playing games and what that actually does, sort of above and beyond just playing a game. You know, they really bring people together. Mm. And... Um, I think having sort of seen that from that kind of perspective early on has just always made me want to be the game master. We're not really into the Dungeons and Dragons style sort of dungeon mastery games, my friends and I, but there always has to be someone that sort of takes charge and takes lead in most games. Um, so I've just always wanted to be that person. You know, I really like being able to uh, calculate how everyone wins or loses and, uh, and really bring people together. Nice. Uh, that, that was kind of a waffly answer, but that <laughs> essentially, I really like games because they bring people together. That's a really good answer, to be yeah. fair. It sounds like, um, well, sounds like my my son would absolutely <laughs> love you being able to make a game out of absolutely anything. Yeah, <laughs> there is literally, you know, you can make an entire world, a whole universe to escape into with just a handful of of anything, um, if you put your mind to it. And uh, I really love doing that. Uh, the, you know, I've made quite a few games in in my life so far, but you know, there's only a couple that I think are maybe table ready to to give to the public. Um, one I'll talk to you about a bit later on. But you know, I've always been making games and just sort of just silly little games, party games, that kind of thing. I know if you put your mind to it, you can do it. Um, I just you know, I just really love doing it, and I want to be able to make a career out of it and, and make make people happy. Essentially. Um, this is just the best way that I think I can do it. <laughs> you mentioned about like an earliest memory of gaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I used to have a Super Nintendo when I was a, you know, three or four years old. My dad had a Super Nintendo and we used to play um, Super Mario All-Stars. Oh, yes. Which was, you know, the original Mario games that there was like four Mario games on there. I would always play as Princess Peach because she could fly and hover above all the bad guys and I you know I didn't want to get killed so nice <laughs> I always plays peach but then as soon as any boss battle would come up my three-year-old thumbs couldn't handle it <laughs> so I would have to get my dad to do it and I never ever really 
finish those sort of games, I'd always rely on him to do it for me. <laughs> Did you? Uh, I take it you both had a SNES or played a SNES. Uh, I was a Mega Drive uh, person, no. but you um, <laughs> you remind me of uh, my escapades on Sonic the Hedgehog, which I still to this day cannot beat. <laughs> they definitely made games harder back then. Oh, they did. I, I, I can't like prove that. I've got no science behind it. But when I try, I downloaded Crash Bandicoot, the like the reboot for the Xbox. And I had the, you know, the OG Crash Bandicoot. And I remember being you know, seven or eight then. And I was smashing those levels, jumping over stuff, completing the game. <laughs> yeah. And when I try and do it now, as as a 30, and I, my thumbs are 30 years old. There's so much training that's gone into the muscles behind these thumbs and fingers. And I just can't do it. I, I think button smashing is a lot faster when you're a kid. Like, there's, a, there's a bit more energy to, to, to do the speed, but not quite enough energy to push it all the <laughs> way down. <laughs> but it is true, though. It's like I, I could go out and buy a modern say xbox game now and i could probably blitz through it in a couple of hours yeah. i i'm not joking when i say i still cannot beat the original sonic the hedgehog game <laughs> <laughs> and i've tried yeah it's um it's one of those you know I, I had a sort of similar thing well it was with um spyro the remake and i'm thinking how on earth did i achieve this as a, as a kid so I end up, i'm watching loads of youtube channels trying to find out how people are cheating their way through it and I feel I feel a bit dirty doing that, but I'm doing that a lot nowadays. Nice. Yeah. And there was another game I had, which isn't a computer game, and you may have had it. You may not have had it. I don't know anyone else that's had it. Um, it's called Crocodile Dentist. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, with the the big uh, plastic crocodile head that snaps down when you're trying to pull its teeth out. This is a, this is a prime example of making games harder back in the day because. <laughs> With that game, the the crocodile had like a the top lip of the crocodile, and then he had like a a row of teeth that didn't have any teeth in it. But that, um, well, for anyone that hasn't played it, you have to like extract teeth using a pair of pliers, um, or in the later version, you sort of push the tooth down, mm. and then the crocodile at random will just snap its jaws on your fingers. But now, see, now they've made the teeth like rubbery, and the top the top layer of the mouth is really flimsy and weak. But in the nineties. Crocodile Dentist was a it was it was a reaction test like uh, like Mr Miyagi in the Karate Kid you know with the fly and the chopsticks if you didn't get your hand out there quick enough that thing was going to slam down and you know this was before proper health and safety in toys as well that that the upper lip on that crocodile indeed you you could have viewed that game as a punishment for if, children. if I remember <laughs> correctly the top the well, the version my friend had the top lip was actually metal as well it really <laughs> hurt when it came down on your finger <laughs> yay early 90s yeah also oh, that's terrible. the other thing you sort of look back to games of that era and as you said you're, like, you're pulling teeth out with pliers you've got to think yeah. this was also the sort of same age where you had operation where you were doing things with tweezers what was it with having games that required <laughs> actual tools in order to play the game but you bring up another one there is like didn't operation shock you if you touched the sides it was a loud buzzer i think uh yeah but if you stuck your fingers in it it would shock you from what i remember gosh <laughs> terrible isn't it terrible they don't make them like they used to though they don't I, th I think we need to start a revolution to bring games back like that you know get, get rid of all this um what's the the newfangled thing is poo isn't it like for, for yeah, mainstream that's, that's games really all over the place now but bring back crocodile dentist definitely a mouse hunt the original mouse hunt or mouse trap or whatever it was hunt. called yeah, yeah. 
you know they they have mouse hunt now with uh, with three traps in it. So you have like you have to do three separate traps that all interlock over each other. It's a real mess. Just just one trap's enough. That's just that sounds like hell. <laughs> <laughs> the original was bad enough. Trying to get it to just stay. <laughs> no, you, you could never get the little net thing at the end to stay at the top of the stick, could you? It would no. always like fall down as soon as you let it go. I don't know what they expected us to do. No, exactly. <laughs> so, what would you say were your standout games for when you were younger? And what would you say is the sort of the bread and butter your go-to games these days? Going back. Um, we used to have a game called Dingbats, which, for those who aren't familiar, is a bit like Catchphrase, but before, like, almost the clues were almost written before time. So it was like, um, on Catchphrase, you see on the telly, you say what you see, and you tend to get it right nine, down, nine times out of ten. But in this one, it's like black and white. There's um, the, the phrases are things people said in, like, the 1920s that you just wouldn't say anymore, because it was like a game made in the 70s, I think. But we used to love that game. That would give us hint after hint after hint and eventually he'd give it to us anyway even though we didn't get it but he made us feel so smart and i loved dingbats because it was just challenging it was language <laughs> that i wasn't familiar with because there were sayings and phrases that you just don't use anymore it was just sort of a kind of a learning experience i ended up learning every single card and every single clue and there must be about 200 in there um this, i didn't have any friends growing up but i had dingbats and i had the cards in the box nice. and now, now whenever i play it with my girlfriend um she doesn't really like playing it because I basically memorized the entire game. It's a bit of a cheat. I, I call it like a, a skill, but apparently it's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> a common debate we have in the house. But also also risk. You know, everyone loves risk. Risk is uh, a classic game that takes up quite a big space on the table, um, but it, it really allows you to settle the score between friends. I, quite, I really love risk. There's been lots of iterations of it, but. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Like Risk is, it, considering it was around at the time of all the other dreaded games that no one really likes to mention, yet it yeah. still has a place amongst uh, modern board gaming hearts, you know, yes. and the fact that we've ev evolved into having the likes of Risk Legacy and stuff like that as well. Well, I mean, most war games now, you know, they whenever I play them at conventions, they are similar to Risk in a way, in that it's a sort of, conquer defend and attack and risk was one of the ogs you know that was one of the original yes yeah going back so you know i know it's i know it's quite popular and i know that lots of people like to play risk um and maybe it's one of the games that we don't necessarily mention as much but and i'll always have a place in my heart for it yeah i mean i i feel bad for the fact that my vast collection of games doesn't actually include risk and i keep telling myself i should get it but with the sheer amount of amazing games that come out nowadays it's it always falls to the bottom of the list, but it's always there. That's the that's the key thing for me is it's always there and it's always in my mind. It'll always it'll always be there waiting for you. Indeed. There there are more modern games that I that I quite like though. You mentioned about the, the bread and butter yeah. of what what kind of games tickle me at the moment. Um I'm a big sucker for dice games, so I like anything that has any custom dice that come in the box. Like King of Tokyo. Have you ever played King of Tokyo? I have played it many, many years ago, I'd say at this point, but I don't remember it. I've played it once. And uh, again, it's another one of these games that people say, oh, well, they say, well, how come you haven't played it? You've played all these games. Are you going to play this again? It's like, I really want to, but every time I want to, no one else wants to. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a game that puts you in the shoes of a monster, effectively, and you have to keep control of the of the city you're in, Tokyo, 
um, and, and kind of wipe out the other monsters and they, they are playing against you. And it's, um, it's just cool. It's interesting. They've had many versions of it. They look really great. And, you know, another thing that I really look for in games now is, is a really decent art style that I can really sink my teeth into and helps me really believe in the narrative. And, and King of Tokyo and all the iterations of it have, have not failed to deliver that. No, I mean, it's, it's essentially it's a visually stunning game, without a doubt. Very vibrant colours to it as well, which is, is nice. And something we champion quite a bit on, on the show is how much we love good artwork on on games. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and something that's going to draw people's eyes to the table, because at the end of the day, is how you get new people into the hobby. That's it. Exactly. You know, no one's going to be interested if, if there's nothing to visually wow them. You know, we need to wow people nowadays and, and give them something really nice to look at that's why we love being on like instagram you know it's so bright and vibrant and, and people post stuff that's quite eye-catching mm. the reason it's so successful is because we as a species love nice things to look at don't we exactly that's yeah. it we're always looking for that next sparkly thing yes yeah precisely that and i guess like the other thing the other thing i would say bread and butter for me personally is the size of a rule book um, I really, I don't, de- I don't detest any game, mm. but I, I really struggle to get as involved with a game where the rule book is just too big. Yeah, I, I think you know if I have friends coming around to play a new game, we're all kind of like, yeah, let's play it, let's crack on. I might set the game up, and then I've got to sit and read the rules, and then there's sort of like thirty minutes of sort of maybe thumb twiddling, people not quite sure what, where to start. I, I just really love being shown how to play a game via a video. So if ever there's a game that sort of is just a rule book, I do tend to, I don't know, I wouldn't have never avoided a game for it, but I would always sort of just wish that they had just a rule sheet or a cheat sheet or reference cards, that kind of thing. I don't know how you both feel about that. No, I think we're both uh, both in the same book there. Yeah. Like we, we both come from a wargaming background as well, especially with Warhammer and Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah. And yeah, this was before the Age of Sigmar where they, you know, took the rules down simplified them made them four pages long the end yeah. of fantasy was you know i always joke about the rule book was a paving slab but it literally was the same size and weight of a paving slab and it was so hard to get any of my friends to even contemplate me teaching them a game i wasn't asking them to read the rules as like, i could teach you the game yep. yeah yeah but just the sight of this book was <laughs> enough you know it's like when it gives the english dictionary a room for its money <laughs> it's uh i think it's a bit too big which in itself was a bit of a false economy because the the actual rules section of that book was only about a third of the book yeah <laughs> they shot themselves in the foot there well done gw well done. <laughs> you know there's, there's, there's something quite funny actually when um if ever it's like someone says oh can i can i do this and they do a move and you just like i'll just quickly check and you have like 10 minutes of page flicking you kind of just like yeah fine you can do that <laughs> Like we'll we we, we try our best, like when we're running our gaming clubs or, or or even running events at our house and stuff. We we try to be uh, on top of rules and know the game before we try and teach it. Yeah, you know, we try not to be looking at the rule book, but there's always going to be that time that there is a rule clarification. It's like okay, yeah, give me two seconds. Yeah, and like you said, that two seconds suddenly turns into five minutes. That yeah. five minutes suddenly turns into ten minutes, and then sort of the immersion in that game is then lost. Yeah. You can lose. You can. You're absolutely right. You can lose the immersion 
the magic by having to, you know, it's like, imagine like being going to Disney and you go to like shake Mickey Mouse's hand and he takes his helmet off, his head off, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to quickly change and someone else is going to get in here and you've got to wait 10 minutes while another guy puts the suit on. Yeah. As a five-year-old kid, uh, uh, the magic's dead. Exactly. And yeah, there's a reason uh, to use that exact analogy. There's a reason when the characters do change, they, they go out the back. You know, <laughs> they don't pop their head off and change the suit right then and there. But it's like, like the game that springs to mind that actually does this really well, as we've spoken about before, Jason, is Nemesis, mm. where it's it is a complicated game. It's got a fairly hefty rule book, but it has those reference cards and cheat sheets, like uh, like you said. Yeah. So that you can just look it. The basics are there, and it even has next to each step the pages. Mm. for the full thing uh, so it's like good, uh. oh if you've got a clarification on movement you'll find it here if you've got mm. a clarification on x it'll be on these pages so it's yeah. if you do need a more in-depth it's like right it's there see that's good isn't it you know more of that please because there's no worse than having to find it one, one of the things that i'm I re- like that i'll do with all of my games and especially the one i've got coming up but there's others in the pipeline too is a really clear reference sheet uh, or and where one might have to have a book clerk absolutely how nemesis had done it i'm happy to say i'm going to steal that because you know i really i really like the idea of having page numbers next to the steps that's really useful Mm. yeah i mean i think uh because obviously nemesis was was actually james's first game purchase Uh, he's always he's played my games for years but it was his first game purchase which meant that he actually had to learn how to teach the game and I think uh, we've spoken off off air quite a few times about yeah. this about how much for just those res- reference cards really really help. help. I mean, for such a complex game with so much going on, the fact that I could play it twice and then teach someone else to play it really easily just says how well that game is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that works. And and you you faced the burden firsthand there of being the game purchaser. Therefore, you are the oracle of the game. Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> Oh, I've been there. This is why I continue to kick myself every time I buy new games, you know, because it's like, well, I have to know, you know, I, I've lost count of how many games I have now. Last count was somewhere about 150. And, me. you know, it's one of those things that like whenever I have people come around, I stupidly ask, what game would you like to play? Because then it's like, <laughs> that means I have to know how to play every single one of my games. <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe, the, um, the pile of shame is uh, is quite sizable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. See, it must be a whole wall in your house, at least. Not quite. It, it's uh, I've managed to condense most of it down onto a five by five gamer's legendary Kallax. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the benefits of running my own weekly game club, some of it was stored at the club, some of it's been stored elsewhere in the house, and uh, the missus doesn't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she'll she, come round. Luckily enough, she is a gamer herself, so she she uh, she buys games as well. So it's kind of like a get out of jail free card for me. <laughs> <laughs> but Thank yes, you. it's. Uh, I mean, much like us. I mean, we we don't really claim this to be a career or anything. You know, we just do this for for the love of it. But what at what point in your sort of hobby journey did you decide that? you did want to make maybe a career of it and you know how did that come about and you know the form formation of mayfly games i i always knew that i was going to be at one point in my life working for myself at some point doing something that was always something i had in my head uh, not that i don't respond well to having managers or anything i just i know i've always wanted to just be my own boss and 
to do that, you know, you need to have some sort of skill. Um, at, during uni, I wanted to be a record label boss. Nice. But then the, the first day of the first course in the first year, the lecturer said, everyone put your hand up. Now put your hand down. Anyone with their hand up is going to be a, a record label boss. And obviously they just told everyone to put their hand down. And we, we were really battered from the first day as, yeah. to, uh, as to our degree choice. So I, I knew... I knew throughout that, you know, I, I thought I'm going to be a record label boss, but actually, you know, I know, I know I'm probably going to have to do something else based on what my lecturer said. Um, at that point, you know, I, I was well and truly living for the weekends, making games for myself and making games for my friends. I was working on a fairly big alien themed board game, a bit like XCOM. And I just knew I was going to use that as my kind of, it was always in my head, early retirement. Let's make this game. Let's mm. get it out there. But then having playtested it a couple of hundred times with friends and family and then using external companies to do it, I got so much feedback and had had to kind of make so many changes. And I thought, actually, okay, you know, this is something I want to do, but to make these changes and to make it the best game I can possibly make it for players as well as for me, um, I need to take a step back because I'm not an artist Mm. and I didn't have any social media at the time. All I had was big ideas with no real way to like put them down beautifully i thought okay let's get a card game on the go and let's kind of start small let's approach some local people who are artists who might not necessarily charge an arm and a leg kind of thing and then yeah i started to just i guess the lockdown happened i decided to formalize the company i I chose the name because um i I really like just the story behind the mayfly you know the, the reason that we draw hearts the way that we do um, on paper is because when a mayfly mates, it, their tails make a heart shape. So that's like where that came from. And uh, you know, games bring people together, and there's sort of a there's sort of a bringing people together loose tenuous link with mayflies. Mm. So I thought it was a nice a nice name for the company. That is actually quite a nice tie-in. And yeah, I'm I don't claim to know much about the world, but there I've learned something new today. There you mm. go. <laughs> the trouble is, they don't live very long. They live about 24 hours as an adult. So hopefully that doesn't quite doesn't quite link with where no time to really live though is it (laughs) how can you play game play games for 24 hours that's 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 what i would do if i only had 24 hours (laughs) i um i got a trademark recently as well because i wanted to make sure that the name was mine you can get a trademark that's 10 years it costs uh, if anyone wants to get one they're 130 pounds and you need to write to the ipo in the uk and they say yeah fine here's your trademark then it means that I can put a little symbol next to my Mayfly Games name. Yeah. Um, there was almost an issue with that in that there was a different Mayfly trademarks, but they were in a different field and they, they just had a, basically they were a different trade altogether. So I was allowed to have it. Nice. Um, but it's worth having for 10 years. You get a cool certificate out of it, um, signed from someone in the government, somewhat official. Um, yeah, so I had that trademark. I've got the name, I've got the website. And I guess once I had the trademark sorted, you know, this was at the start of the pandemic, I thought, well, that's it now. This trademark's mine for 10 years and I've got a bit of time. Now, I wasn't furloughed during the pandemic, but I was fortunate enough to have a job that gave me some time. Uh, I wasn't too stressed in the evenings to really work on it. Mm. And I thought, this is my time to get the games I've been working on developed and get them out there. Waffle aside, Ultimately, I always knew I was going to be doing something games related. I always knew it. It's just, you know, we've all had projects that we've started and not finished. We're all guilty of that. And a lot of us finish projects and some of us never finish them. And I've kind of always been someone that never finished it. You know, I would have a half written book, a half done audio book, half 
read games manuals that I've just given up on. This time around, I just really thought, you know, this is it. So I just did it. And uh, I'm still working a full-time job that's not Mayfly Games at the moment, so I'm doing two full-time jobs. I mean, the amount of time you have to put into kind of running a game company and, mm. you know, because I'm wearing all the hats, I'm doing everything. So it's uh, social media, yeah. making the game, designing the cards when I'm not even an artist, you know, so each one is like blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. And it's all the promotional material and conventions and playtesting. And there's just so, so much that goes into it. Um, so it really is a sort of full-time job and I, I am hoping, so I've got a launch coming up in March and I'm hoping that that really kind of kickstarts this Mayfly Games motion. You know, it's not, this isn't just going to be one game. I, I've got a few in the pipeline and mm. uh, yeah, I really just want to keep yeah. making them because my friends enjoy them, playtesters enjoy them and I've been to some conventions recently where people have, I can see on their face they're really enjoying it and you know, it really makes it so worthwhile and I'd love to be able to do that. Uh, full time so i think it's it's um it's it's coming not right now but it is coming you know sort of full-time career in it i mean i i can't even begin to fathom what it what it must be like for yourself holding down the full-time job and you know and, and then trying to design games and then run, run a games company yourself but you know as the closest i could possibly get to that is obviously i run a weekly in fact two weekly games clubs i obviously record this podcast and yeah. you know a lot of people just don't really understand just how much effort and time goes into those things like i may well only be doing something for one of the clubs for an hour per day you know be it going to the local cash and carry to get drinks and snacks whether it be painting some scenery for the war games or anything mm -hmm. like that it's still an hour of my day on top of my working life you know full-time employed as well i have a son that i have to look after at weekends as well so my weekends are taken up and yeah it all really does add up and just a lot of people don't realize that and i think for someone like yourself it it's another level even above what i do so i i'm right there with you in, in understanding how hard <laughs> this could be I mean, James, James is quite lucky. He helps me run the, you know, the, the game clubs. He, he does the podcast with me, but I'm a really good boss. I'd like to say I take on all the work <laughs> myself and I just expect him to come and be a pretty face on a microphone where no one can see him. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, James. There's a backhanded compliment in there somewhere. <laughs> a real face for radio. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you. I'm glad you appreciate it. I mean, there's, um, you know, there is just so much work that goes into hosting games. So, you know, I really, I really am in awe of people like yourself as well who can do that with a full time. I don't have kids, so I don't have that sort of extra level of care. I have three pets, but they're fairly autonomous. They don't require an awful lot. They just mm. need a stroke uh, and feeding and maybe water. Um, but yeah, you know, my hats off to you and to anyone who can balance those things in life it, it really is a struggle and I know I really do I really do like appreciate the work you do I, I think uh, that that's the ultimate thing though is and for you I imagine it's the same for yourself it, it's just at the end of the day it's nice to see people's smiling faces like for us when we put on events we're seeing people play games we're seeing the smiles on people's faces for yourself you're designing games and when people are playing your games you you know obviously you mentioned conventions and stuff like that you're getting to see that in person how how does it make you feel when you're actually seeing people play your games in front of you it was initially terrifying because i remember the first the first couple they walked into the convention room 
And uh, they came out straight to my table and said hello. And I sort of sat them down and I was like, well, well, let's have a play. And um, I didn't really think about it until I was starting to deal out the cards to people. And I thought, oh, God, what if they hate it? I don't know if I have the, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've got the uh, the bravado to, to take any criticism <laughs> gracefully. I don't know. I don't know. I've never had anyone kind of face to face doing that before that I hadn't known before. You know, obviously I've play tested with friends and family or sent it off to be play tested by a third party, but I've never actually mm. been the person there. But it was amazing. And actually, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, was on, I was at one in Portsmouth last weekend and I had 41 people come and play it on one day. And what I got to see with every single play test that I really loved was the moment that they got it. Because the, the, the game that I've made is, a, is an elimination game. And it's a card game. It sort of has a tiled board that comes in the deck of cards that you make yourself. And sometimes, because I've explained it a couple of times, I might have missed one or two things. But I'm kind of explaining it and, and watching them play. And I always set the game up so that I'm eliminated first. <laughs> and so I sort of rig it. But as soon as I've been eliminated and they see how that happened and what it means to them, suddenly all the light bulbs click. Yeah. And then it's like, right now, because my game's a last man standing, right? A last woman standing. So as soon as I've been eliminated and I've, got, I've been playing with a couple, now it's like, oh, I need to win. Uh, and I can suddenly see the immediate fierce rivalry just take place between husband and wife or mother and daughter and um yeah I, what it makes it worthwhile to see people having fun but i just love that moment when it clicks mm. i actually i love that to bits and i did have some people playing and say this needs to be improved with x y and z and I, you know i've really taken that on board and i i really appreciate some of the comments that were made because they are changes that i made instantly into the into the rule sheet i've just got a little rule sheet uh, one sided bit of paper and um they really have helped bolster the strength of the game and the reward that players get from every turn so I, i'm just so grateful for uh, these sort of critiques that i got as well that i mean that's really good i think playtesting is probably the best thing about uh, the industry as a whole like we we did a when we were at uk games expo uh, earlier on this year we we playtested a couple of games uh, while we were there, they took on the feedback, and I, I've actually been in pretty much constant contact with a couple of those game designers, just you know talking about where the game has gone since, and and to see some of them drastically change. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, you're talking about the event you did in Portsmouth, I believe. One of the game designers uh, was actually there as well because they have their Kickstarter coming up very soon. Oh right, I was probably sat next to them. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, you might have done it. it was. Um, a uh, library labyrinth is the name. Yeah, of the game. I was sat yeah. next to them. Uh, yeah. Millie, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was sat next to them. We, it was the first time I've ever met them. They were really nice, and they invited me to Facebook groups. And I think we're going to be going to events together in the future. So, that yeah, they good. were really, really nice people. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm really. I mean, that's actually one of the the few games, as I said, I have actually managed to 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 sit down and check out and 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 all that. And they came to one of our local gaming events recently as well. So I was able to see where it's gone even from UK Games Expo, which was only a few months ago, and it's just such so different. And knowing how close it is now to to a Kickstarter launch for them as well, it's it's I'm really yeah, game, game for that. So. Well, aren't they? They're not, it's not too, not too far in the distant future. I believe they actually launch potentially the same day as your good self. Which, Very exciting. Which uh, leads us nicely onto our next bullet point, doesn't it? So three weeks today, I believe it is, March 1st. Big day for you, isn't it? 
<laughs> it's a day that I've had in my head for, well, nearly a year. I, I knew that I wanted to launch uh, a product in maybe the winter or spring because you know there's a couple of game conventions that uh, that fit quite nicely around there. It's also my birthday month, but that's actually nothing to do with the, <laughs> with the launch or the question. But yeah, the 1st of March is the day, the day that it all kind of makes or breaks, I suppose. Um, you know, I have never used Kickstarter before, and um, this is a way, I think, the best way to get the game to people the quickest uh, and the most efficiently. So I don't know if... I, and actually, just um, for a quick explanation, when I was talking to people in Portsmouth last weekend about Kickstarter, maybe one in five people knew what it was. Mm. And four in five people who were avid gamers didn't know what Kickstarter was, which I thought was quite surprising. That that I, I took a lot away from that because I sort of have done all my marketing with the assumption that people know what to do. And actually, maybe mm. not everyone does, but that just for anyone's benefit, you know, it's a, it's a effectively a crowdfunding platform where if I can um, sell a certain number of copies of the game, then I can afford to have it made and manufactured and, and sent to you. Um, so, so March the first is a pretty it's a pretty big day in my life. One of the one of the biggest days that I've ever worked towards, by all means, in, in my life, because I've never done anything sort of formally like this. You know, I've made games before, but I've never sold them. I've never presented them to the public. And this is a, this is really putting myself out there on a on a plate. Um, this is my my baby. You know, I've been working on this for for so long. And you know, the game's called The Family. It's a a two to four player elimination game. And I did mention it's a card game, but it is more than just a card game. You, it, within the box, you've got these eight locations that you can claim with your associates. These little wooden cubes. They are your. Uh, they're kind of your uh, your wise guys, your made men. You know, they they're your associates because you're playing a mafia boss. Yeah. And they go out there to do your bidding for you. And for every location that you occupy, you get various perks and bonuses, and they help you to rid of your opponent's associates. Um, and eventually, once your opponent has no associates guarding them, you can attack and eliminate them from the game. So that's kind of the game, essentially. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a card game. It's not necessarily a board game, but it is kind of a tiled board. I don't know how best to describe that. But the cards don't fit together as such, but you can sort of make them into any shape that you like. But you need to have some sort of table or space in front of you to play it. Yeah, um, so it's, a, it's a tabletop game. And this is a conversation we've had recently, to be fair. Like, <laughs> what what denotes a board game, you know? is that The actual definition says it should have a board, but then again, that negates all card games, which, you know, when you've got deck builders there, they're deemed as board games, but they don't have a board. So <laughs> I, I, a, I still... It's a very thin board. Oh, well, there you go. You've got a board. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm allowed to have that as a cheat answer, but card is essentially a very thin piece of board. Well, yeah, and if you if you're laying the cards out to make a board, then it's a board game. Yeah. yeah. Well, then I'm going to start calling it a board game. <laughs> but you know, as I mentioned earlier, this is something that I have done effectively on my own for a number of years, but only really formalised it since the start of the pandemic. But every aspect of the game, marketing it all the videos, the photos. Like I had to buy a photo lightbox studio for the house, designing all the games, getting quotes from manufacturers, going to conventions, flyers, finding influencers and getting people to make videos, the art, the mechanics. I could go on. Oh, yes. But I won't um, <laughs> because I've taken up so much of your time already, waffling. <laughs> um, but the uh, as a one-man band and doing all of that, you know, I've got this end date in mind on the 1st of March. I am um, really hoping that people listening 
can check out my website, mayflowergames.com, um, and find the Kickstarter link at the bottom or pop your email in and I'll send you an email to it. Um, it's £12 on the first day. And that, that first day, really, I, I think I'll know whether or not it's going to sort of make or break. It's the cheapest time to get it on the first day as well. So it's 12 quid. It'll be £15 every other day. So if you want to buy the game, first day is the day to get it. And that's why that day is so important, I think. You know, I, I've just been thinking about the 1st of March every day since last year's 1st of March, basically. Um, and I just have. can't wait to hit the launch button. I cannot wait. You know, the, the cards themselves, they've got associates in there who are real criminals from uh, uh, maybe 50 to 100 years ago. Mm. So I've got people in there like Al Capone that you can draw from the deck. And then, you know, you draw the Al Capone card, you take an associate from the pile, pop it on your, your own family card. And then you can use that associate to do various things. There's 17 in the pack. You know, I've chosen men and women from all over the world, various ethnic backgrounds. Some that you all have heard of, like Al Capone. Some you might not have heard of, like Dung Ha, who was uh, a Vietnamese pickpocket. And then in about five years, she went from being a pickpocket to being the single most wanted crime lord in all of Vietnam. And she has an incredible backstory. And all these cards that I've got, I've got little facts about them so you can take away a little educational nugget every time you play. But when you back the game, you can also <laughs> add yourself into the deck so you could draw the Jason card, right? Oh, hell say, yeah. <laughs> you know, a picture of Jason. Uh, and obviously this would only be for your your copy. It wouldn't go to everyone, so not everyone is going to get the Jason card. Just, you know, you, oh, this is Jason. Jason likes to do podcasts and he likes Marmite on both slices of off the bread or something like that, you know, some random fact about you that... Scary that... how much you know about me already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I set the cameras up in your house for a reason, mate. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. That's a, that's a very mafia thing to do of you. <laughs> you might be, might be taking your game a little bit too seriously, my friend. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're into a little rivalry and you, you're, not, you're not afraid to attack your friends and family, obviously I mean that figuratively, but within the game. Oh, then, you just sport my fun. Yeah, but this, <laughs> this is sounding more and more like a game for us. But it's definitely a game for you if you've got between 10 and 20 minutes. You know, it could be a game that you play in between the setup of two big ball games. Maybe you've finished a big one. Maybe you need a break. This is a good kind of party game. It's a way to settle the score between a few friends. You know, It could be over in 10 minutes. It could take 20. But essentially... It's the last person standing, and it's just a fun game. It's fun. It's, it's designed to be fun. It's designed to be a bit educational, and it's using mechanics that I've never seen before. You know, I must have played a thousand games in my life, and I did want to kind of make something that was a little bit different. Uh, and I think this really ticks the, the a bit different box. And because of the size that I've made it, it means that the postage is cheaper because it technically counts as a large letter as opposed to a parcel. So a bit sneaky. Nice. Um, and it means you can take it anywhere. So, you know, you could play it in a restaurant. Maybe not a restaurant. That's a terrible example. Don't play it in a restaurant. Oh, um, I wouldn't say that. We, we, we've played games in restaurants. Well, okay, <laughs> good, good. If, if you're playing a mafia-themed game, then a restaurant's probably the perfect place <laughs> to play it, you know. How many mob bosses get whacked in the, uh, whacked in the family restaurant? <laughs> you know, you raise a very good point, and I, I retract my earlier statement. I think a restaurant is the perfect place for it. A pizzeria, if you can. Oh yeah, especially if Ma is working. <laughs> <laughs> well, the so and like the first iterations of this game, you know, I just had Italian American mafia uh, mafiosos. There are hundreds of them to choose from that we've all heard of. 
but you know, as we as we touched on earlier, after some play testing, it, it turns out that we don't just want the mafia people that we know. We don't just want white American men. You know, we want everything. So you know, what I've done now is is the game. Yes, it's got a mafia theme, a gangster theme, and that is often quite associated with Italian American gangsters and crime families. But there are people in there from everywhere. So if if, if you're interested in crime, uh, in a sort of like knowledge sense that's not like a doing sense um <laughs> then then you know this really is this really is for you yeah, well you've um you obviously put a lot of research into uh the theme you've chosen and it is a very rich theme but uh what was the inspiration personally for you to go for that theme i'm one of those people that um just loves a crime documentary and i you know i haven't necessarily studied crime per se i did do like crime tv and crime films as part of a media degree but you know i i'm just somewhat obsessed with what makes people tick um not necessarily just from a criminal psychology perspective but from a uh, just a person's perspective but what makes people commit crimes what what gets people kind of in that headspace that maybe they normalize the acts that they're doing and i've just been really generally interested in in the lives of these people um i have been for some time you know i've been to the crime museum in hastings chatted to them the other day just you know i i just am a little bit obsessed maybe you know i have a favorite uh serial killer i don't know if that's uh, if that's something i should say or not but i'm not saying i'm not saying a favorite as in like i wish he was at the dinner table to meet yeah. my mum. yeah but uh, you know I, I do have people's stories that i follow and i sort of think wow what an incredible story that's what i mean i like the story i don't like the person yeah i can, I can totally understand that like yeah. i've always had a, a fascination really with the uh the cray twins and and their history mm. and, and stuff like that like not that i ever really agreed with anything that they did but kind of had a, a a fascination if you like with what they what they stood for you know and and how yeah. that they you know they kept their crimes to themselves you know and if you made it go outside of of basically people that were already involved in crime you know that they had a real issue with that in in the sense of no this is this is what we're doing is illegal yeah we do not need to spread this out so that other people suffer you know if innocent yes. people suffer they had a problem with it and i've always sort of marveled at that if you if you know if, they, if that's the right word but also disgusted by the crimes that they committed so it's kind of a, a bit of a love-hate thing going on there it is you know it's worth mentioning absolutely that these people committed crime and and i guess one of the things i'm not doing in this game is kind of is glorifying any crime that was committed mm. but i'm just kind of giving a fact about the person that existed because I, I actually do use reggie cray as one of the associates he's one of the more modern associates that i use nice. um i don't tend to use anyone any sort of more recent than him but i do go back to i think the 1500s yeah um but so i'm not like glorifying it and that you know it was something that came up in portsmouth you know playing with playing with a family and, and you know they, they, they sort of raised raise the point that although i'm not glorifying crime they wanted to make sure that in the rule book and that, that I, I would never kind of do that sort of thing yeah they were happy to see that i didn't have a rule book yeah I'm not into this. No, but I'll tell good. you how I found out about Reggie Cray before I knew he was a criminal. And this might be something you knew or didn't know about Reggie Cray. But did you know he had a single, like a, a he, music career? He did, yes. I do, I do remember that. Like, I, don't, uh, I, I don't know too much about it personally, but I think 
from what I remember, it was uh, a, a sort of an extension from when he was uh, with Barbara Windsor. Uh, as no, a I partner. didn't know that. Um, yeah, that was uh, tells you the, the sort of uh, knowledge that I know how or, of that. But uh, yeah, they they were a couple at one point. Yeah, I did not know that at all. Did you know that? I did. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Cray twins. I I always find are almost a little bit tragic because yes, when you look into it, Reggie really enjoyed running the nightclubs and that. I think if it hadn't been for Ron. He probably would have gone straight. Gone straight. It yeah, was, I, I agree. It was yeah. Ron that kept pulling him back. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, there are you know, and not not just the craze. I I, I will say like a lot of the the mafia bosses they're fascinating. Mm. You know, because like you said, at some point in their life, they have normalized their criminal activities. Yep. Oh yeah. To, to the point that they don't see that they're doing stuff wrong. Yeah. And yep. then when it all comes crashing down eventually, yep. it, it's it's kind of a shock. Yeah, well, the um, the Shelby family will be another uh, another British crime gang that a lot of people will probably know because of the TV series around them. But they're, they're another one. Yeah, yeah. And the game, the game is what it is at the moment. But there is so much room to expand on specific, well, like them, for example, specific families like the Shelby family, or or maybe criminals that didn't necessarily exist like jack the ripper you know people that did or didn't exist we may not mm. know who they are i can always mm. expand the game so much for all these different varieties of criminal and, and crime um I, I don't know if i mentioned this before i used to be a prison officer you didn't mention, mention i did that. not mention that yeah well that's that's half of the reason i suppose why i was so interested in crime as well i did that for a couple of years and um got to kind of see both sides of it really uh, there's there's such a fascinating thing I used to do was um, sit with them during the trial. So mm. I would take them to court and sit with them in the in the dock, and then take them back to prison or back to the police station wherever they've come from. Yeah. Um. And that that really like rekindled a fascination for criminal psychology for me. Yeah. I, I, I really I'm so passionate about it, and um, it makes sense to mix my passions in life. So yeah. you know, all things crime and law, and all things games and fun. It makes sense for me. You know, I think the question was what the inspiration was, wasn't it? So I suppose it's that fascination with crime um, and people and also games bringing people together. Nice. That's a very good answer. And we've mm. got to have a nice little uh, discussion about uh, oh, love of crime, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be playing this uh, podcast in court, won't they, one day? Yeah, Would I think they? so. <laughs> J- James always said he was into crime. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is this... You've got all these true crime documentaries on things like netflix and people go mad for them yeah, mm. yeah. there is a there is an obs- maybe sometimes an unhealthy obsession all, all these people wanting to marry various killers in prison that sort of thing <laughs> i never quite understand that one I, I never quite got that but i think you touched on it earlier it is, it is that if you don't think that way and someone has done something like the true crime ones are usually murders it's like what makes yeah. someone do that mm. Because I cannot wrap my head around, I no. cannot put myself in that person's position. So why? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. there's a, there's a reason that one of the most popular courses for people to take nowadays is is criminal psychology. Like mm. it seems at least one in ten people has has done a criminal psychology course or or something of a derivative of that. And there's a good reason for it. It is a fascinating and very just mind enhancing to be honest mm. you know subject so yeah i think you've picked a, a very good subject for for the game 
So I'm very much looking forward to playing it, I must admit. Well, I, I really hope to get it in your hands someday. I mean, you know, if the if the Kickstarter goes well, um, then I can assure you there will be copies flying your way. I can well believe. Like, I, I'm a Kickstarter addict. It wouldn't surprise me if I'm one of the first few backers. So. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's, there is more on the horizon with Mayfly games. You know, this is a a two to four player card game, board game, we're calling it, um, called The Family. Uh, before this was this enormous, too big for one person to do board game, uh, which is called Doomsday. And, you know, one, after this Kickstarter has taken place uh, by the 31st of March, whatever happens either way, um, I think I'm going to really start working on this one again. So it's a, it's a up to five, one to five player game. So it's a one player board game as well. Because uh, solo play is becoming quite a big thing at the moment. It's really picking it up. It is. That that appears to be sort of the, the 2021 slash 2022 MO for games now, is like must have a solo mode. Yeah, I was told um, quite early on in the, in the developing of Doomsday that um, I needed to make a solo mode because the guy that told me is just someone that I've known for years. Mm. And he, he spends a lot of time on his own at home editing photos. And he's like, sometimes I just need to turn away. Yeah. I'd love to be able to play a board game that was just for one person, but I just can't find one. So yeah. I really wanted to put that in. And this is a game where you play as one of seven characters. You can be anything from a nun to a mechanic, and they all have their own base, their own location, which uh, which gives you your base stats. And then you hit a doomsday timer, which is a mechanical device that I've had made that will make an alarm sound like an air raid siren. Um in a random time between two and four minutes so you never know when it's going to come and in those in those minutes um in this post-apocalyptic world with seven locations you need to travel the board or attack each other and take supplies from the board from the locations or from each other and then when the alarm goes off you draw a doomsday card and the card essentially says it's a zombie outbreak and there's uh, there's some very tongue-in-cheek adult can't possibly say on the air cards that tell you that sort of kind of uh, entertainingly bring you into a um, a doomsday scenario. Mm. And each doomsday scenario, some more powerful than the others, have got attack uh, mechanisms on the card which your base stats have to fight against. But you won't be able to fight the card unless you have supplies to do that. And the supplies will bolster your three stats on the, on your base. Nice um, kind of location. So essentially, it's a play for as do as much as you can in two minutes. When the alarm goes off, some of you may perish, um, but you have enough hits in in that you you'll be able to sort of survive at least three or four doomsdays before you start getting uh, picked off one by one. And again, it's a last player standing, much like my first game. Um, but it's mostly done. I just need a new artist for the board. So this is kind of what it's all leading to now. You know, the cards have been redesigned. Mm. Um, I've had these little miniatures made, 3D miniature model things, which are way more expensive than I had budgeted for. <laughs> oh, um, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I wanted to include miniatures because I understand the value that they can add. You know, having some 3D presence in front of you, a little mm. person that you're playing uh, to move around the board, really adds... A an element of escapism, you know. I'm now this soldier holding this backpack and this pistol, yeah. Or I'm now this nun holding the Bible, that that kind of thing. But yeah, you know, this, this is all just like it's just too big for one person with no yeah. budget at the moment. But... I, I can definitely imagine that. And with regards to the miniatures, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Is that we've we've become accustomed to 
the fact that miniatures equals deluxe versions of games you know there were there was a time that you would pay an extortionate premium in order to have that deluxe element to your game yet now that it, again it's kind of like if a company doesn't really offer it it's almost as if like uh, i'm not really sure because you know i want it's, to add more gray plastic to my the best way i can think to sum this up it's the same with cars isn't it it's like your bmw's your audi's your mercs they have the feature first you pay a premium for it you buy that car but in a couple of years it becomes standard and mm. everyone expects it to be on yeah. everything and if your car doesn't have yeah. it then people will turn their nose up at it. it's the same with miniatures in board games once upon a time it was a real yeah. special thing now people expect it to be there mm. and you know you're, you're both from a, a war gaming background um i believe and I, I just know from the conventions i've been to they are I say miniatures. Some of them are bigatures. I mean, oh, I yes. that's oh, a yeah. word. Well, I, big, think, I think the ultimate one to really talk about at, at this point would be uh, Call Me or Not's last Kickstarter with the the Marvel Zombies. The um, yes, yeah. The the fact that they deem the two foot tall Galactus as a miniature is like that is not a miniature. That is a <laughs> statue. <laughs> mm. I, my child was smaller than that at one point. <laughs> <laughs> They they are making them. I've seen some of these like vehicles that they've got on on big on big table layouts, and they are just enormous and hand painted, and they look amazing. Of course, um, I don't know who I'd get to do my painting. I can't paint. I'm gonna have to get someone to do that. Anyone <laughs> listening who's a painter, um, do get in touch. I, I might be able to help you out with that one. We have uh, our, our behind the scenes person that that, that works here, Kiri. She uh, she's the one that. I learn most of my games with before teaching them myself. And she, she is a prolific painter and a (laughs) damn good one at that. So uh, yeah, might might be able to help you out with that. If, uh, if you want some stuff done ready for a future Kickstarter, which I assume you might want to go for. I think, I think so. I think it's a really good way to ensure that I don't lose too much um, up front, but also it, it gives me a lot of time to build up the momentum for the campaign, which basically means going to lots of conventions and talking about it to people who are fanatical about games. And I, I just really, really love that. So um, it's a great way of doing that, Kickstarter. So uh, I think I'll have uh, one one final question from myself, uh, which will be, we, we've talked a little bit about conventions. Have you got any plans to attend any more this year? And if so, where will be, people be able to find you at, at those conventions? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, on the 11th of March, I'm attending Aircon in harrogate very nice that's that's um, uh that's a good name to be uh, a good convention to be going to yeah yeah you know aircon have been um they've been really good actually because i was meant to be going with my not with my doomsday playtest so before the family was even a, a creative mm. with my doomsday as it was in 2019 i think it was but then obviously it was cancelled because of covid was it 2020 yeah it was 2020 it was cancelled in 2021 it was cancelled but then this year, they've, they've you know they've kept my booking and they're very happy for me to change all my branding from Doomsday to the family. Um, I've got a playtest demo table there for three days. I think I think I'm there for the whole three days. Very nice. And if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the biggest in the country, if not maybe the second biggest. I think UK Games Expo is probably the biggest. Yeah. Um, but Aircon, have you been to Aircon? I haven't personally. No. Um, I'm aiming to get there this year, providing I'm not too busy when it's on. 
Uh, I'm 100% confirmed for UK Games Expo this year, and I'm hoping to do Dragon Meat as well. Yes. Uh, yeah. Being that uh, that's the probably the closest one to where to where we're based. So yeah. Yeah, I think the the Harrogate one um, definitely worthwhile going. They're a really cool team. They back a lot of charities, which I'm all on board with. I really like that. Um, and yeah, you know, I just can't wait to get there. So you know, if anyone listening is going to the Harrogate Aircon, come and find me in the play test zone, and I'm offering a Fifty pound cash to uh, play testers who come and play, and I'll sort of put all the play test comments in a hat and pull it out. So there's a chance to win yourself a bit of money there nice. as well. Um, I I haven't booked any more conventions after that because um, I've just been spending all of my time trying to promote this upcoming launch. So I figured once the launch day's happened, yeah, you know, I'll definitely will be attending the UK Games Expo one way or another. Um, so I'll definitely, I'll, if you'll be there, so I'll definitely see you there. We will indeed. We are there. Well, I, I'm still not 100% certain about James. I know myself and our newsman, Paul, will be there uh, I'm hoping from to be Thursday there. through to the Sunday. So it doesn't matter. What, when you're there, we will be there. So we will uh, arrange to meet up and play a game of something. If you want yeah, a break yeah, from nice one of one your one games, we'll uh, <laughs> play something else. <laughs> will you be bringing some games with you? I will indeed, and I will no doubt have already spent way too much on games as well while I'm there. <laughs> that's the uh that's it isn't it once you're in you're in and yeah your wallet's like no exactly yeah <laughs> just for reference jason your calax will not fit in the car <laughs> <laughs> well i mean that's probably a good thing because uh it's it, it's not been made official yet but i i may well buy a uh a full-size board game table while i'm there if i can <laughs> <laughs> it's always it's always a it's always a a bit of a, a fight, shall we say, when, when you walk in and there's the lovely um, board game table displays. It's like, I really want one of these, but I also don't have that kind of money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could make yourself uh, one out of like an old crate on the side of the road, but it's not the same. No, it's not no, same, not right? at all. Although I'm hoping uh, the Game Toppers company will be there this year because I, I really want one of those because I can just Thank convert you. this lovely uh, dining table that I have and uh, yeah. it's removable, so... Everyone's a winner. <laughs> there are some fantastic game tables out there. Yes. Absolutely fantastic. Ones with like backlighting uh, that you can turn on all the cards light up from underneath and uh, ones with uh, speakers built into the corners. Oh, yes. Holders. It's, it's very <laughs> becoming real American. I was going to say, it, it's yeah. crazy how, how basically our analog hobby has suddenly become digitalized with... Yeah you know lovely led lights and like you said the the speakers and some have even got screens that you play on it's like this is insane you know i thought my board game collection was worth a lot this damn table is worth more than my house <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we were i will well if i don't get to see you before we'll definitely look forward to meeting you at uh at ukge or if i manage to attend some of the others which fingers crossed i will um yeah we'll get some get some games played definitely i mean and if you get if you manage to get to aircon i mean it's um it's in harrogate and it is just a beautiful part of the country mm. so if you were just there for the day you are not going to be short on nice walks i'm a big country walker lots of rivers and hills and cliff faces bit of mountain if you're a big walker um then go just for that <laughs> oh yes and and for those that don't know it's also where you get the uh the old harrogate spring water from when you get that straight from the spring as well where it's still orange 
Do you think you can drink it straight out of the earth? You can, actually. Yeah, they've got a, a special... I think it's dotted about a few places, actually, but it's like a... You know, like an old school church tap where you get like the holy water just comes out. It's like it's like one of those. But when you walk up to it, I, I will say it is a really unique experience. When you walk okay. up to it, all you can smell is sulfur oh, because the obviously the water does have little bits of you know sulfur in it, but it's not dangerous or anything, obviously, unless you drink copious amounts of it. But uh, yeah, you can literally you, they press this button and, and it comes straight up out of the spring. And it's uh, yeah a unique experience because it's a very very strong tasting water. I, I definitely will do that when I'm there. So if you don't find me on the first day, you have to look in the nearest watering <laughs> hole, and I'll be there. Well, you've drunk too much of it, and you've <laughs> had sulfur poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, is there anything else, James, you'd like to ask before we uh, before we let this man go about his evening? Uh, uh, no, I think we're we're wrapped yeah. up here. Mm-hmm. Cool. I really, I really do appreciate the the time that you've taken to speak with me about it. You know, I really love talking to people that are passionate about games and I, especially war games. So I'm really pleased we got a chance to meet. Hopefully, we can see each other um, at a convention soon. Can I tell people where to find me on on this? Podcast? Of course, you can. Yeah, the table is yours. Please let everyone knows where they can find you. Well, um, I'm on MayflyGames.com. You can also find me on Twitter and May uh, and Instagram under Mayfly Games. I'll respond as soon as I get anything. I've always got a phone on me. Um, now I'm looking for people as well who are artists, concept artists, 3D, 2D. So anyone who's got any sort of skill like that, whether you're a student, post-grad, or you haven't been studying for many, many years, um, do reach out because I'm really keen to see what's out there, what, what, you know, what talent we have. And um, if you're interested in working in the field, I'd really love to hear from you. Um, the game's launching on the 1st of March. Uh, on kickstarter and the link for that can be found on my website and all over my social medias as well and i alluded to it earlier it is cheaper on the first day so if you wanted to buy a card game slash board game that takes 10 minutes kind of a party game a good way to settle the score between friends and family um and a bit educational then the first day first of march is the time to get it nice Nice, nice, nice. I think uh, what we'll do as well, uh, if I remember to do it, I might ask you to message me and remind me. I will put all the uh, the links to those in our podcast description as well. So it's nice and easy for people to find Mayfly Games. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I really appreciate the time. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. And, and thanks both of you for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. That's not a problem at all. Thank you for, for coming on. We're always happy to, to chat about games, aren't we, James? Yes, we are. Yeah. Well... I think on that note, we are going to pass over to our man in the new shed who will uh, bring you all of your crowdfunding and Kickstarter goodness and gaming news, etc. And uh, we will see all of you next week. What on earth have you been up to? You look a right mess. Horse riding? Really? Okay, what happened? Okay, so you started off well, but then it started moving a little too fast. What, you mean galloping? Oh, and you fell off. But your foot got stuck in the stirrup. Wow. Oh, poor you, you were getting dragged along. How on earth did you manage to get free? Pardon? The man in Tesco's came out and turned the machine off. Really?
you nutcase. That's the last time I send you out for groceries. You think you can fire off the news intro before you go get cleaned up? That'll be fantastic. Hit it. Board game publisher Ravensburger has made a surprise move into the world of crowdfunding with a $4.5 million investment in the Kickstarter rival GameFound. The veteran German publisher is best known in the hobby for publishing board games, including the castles of Burgundy, Puerto Rico, Labyrinth and recently Disney Villainous with a particular focus on family and children's tales along with an abundance of jigsaw puzzles. As of last August, market research provider Euromonitor International estimated Ravensburger to be the second largest games and puzzles company in the world, behind only Monopoly, Dungeons and & Dragons and Magic the Gathering maker Hasbro. Ravensburger's investment in GameFound will see it join forces with Awaken Realms, the tabletop studio behind board games such as Nemesis, Lords of Hellas and Tainted Grail, which launched the crowdfunding platform last year. According to Awaken Realms, GameFound projects have raised more than $22 million in total to date. Notable projects to have launched on the platform include the board game adaptation of hit video game The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, which raised over £1.2 million, Awaken Realm's own sci-fi co-op ISS Vanguard, which raised over $4.9 million, and the standalone expansion for dice-building RPG Too Many Bones, Unbreak, which saw close to $3.4 million pledged. While Ravensburger has not crowdfunded any of its games to date, the announcement of its investment in GameFound said that the company would lend industry expertise to GameFound's growing community and play a role in continuing to develop the platform's tools and offerings. The publisher's global head of games, Philippe Frank, added that the company evaluates over 1,000 game ideas a year but is only able to release a handful itself. Frank said that Ravensburger's involvement with GameFound would help deliver even more game experiences to tabletop fans around the world, but did not specifically say what this would mean. Awaken Realms CEO Marcin Swierko indicated the investment could help GameFound to increase the size of its team and develop new functions, bringing the platform to the next level. The company previously laid out its own vision of crowdfunding's future for 2022, taking a swipe at Kickstarter in the process. Ravensburger's partnership with GameFound is the first investment under the publisher's Next Ventures initiative, launched earlier this year as an effort to invest in startups and projects in and around the games, toys, books, puzzles and education markets. The company said it would initially invest in up to four projects a year via the program. Ravensburger's move into crowdfunding comes at a time when the previous dominance of Kickstarter in the tabletop industry looks to have wavered, with several high-profile projects launching first on GameFound, and a number of creators actively looking for alternatives to the platform in the wake of its controversial planned move into the blockchain in 2022. Three brand new tabletop RPGs coming from Osprey Games will make their way to bookshelves and tables over the course of 2022. 
with one reimagining of Venice where Leonardo da Vinci's machines have become the dominant tech, while the other two will deliver a very different take on noir detective stories. Osprey might be best known as the makers of Joseph McCulloch's miniature agnostic wargame Frostgrave, along with its science fiction sibling Stargrave, but the company also handles a fair catalogue of realistic wargames and board games such as Cryptid and the Undaunted series. This latest announcement looks to expand their tabletop offerings in fascinating directions that still stay close to the company's preference for the historical. Gran Meccanismo situates players in Venice, Italy circa 1510, but this is not the Renaissance hotbed from history books. The alternate world of this upcoming RPG gave Leonardo da Vinci the opportunity to make good on his voluminous feats of imagined engineering, reshaping society around water clock powered computers, spring motion vehicles of war and clockwork soldiers executing the will of the state. Designed by Mark Galotti, Gran Meccanismo focuses on adventure stories where player characters take positions as spies, nobles, mercenaries or fellow inventors, aiding or impeding the will of the European world's greatest minds. The clock-punk world places high value on both intellect and the willpower to enact great change, but it will also bred a dangerous environment of competing powers and resource wars. Gran Mechanismo is currently planned to release on September the 18th of this year. The first of Osprey's two iteration on noir worlds throws the grimy genre into a neon lit 2092. Crescendo of Violence, designed by Alan Barr, focuses on pitched battles between beleaguered individuals and the systematic forces pushing them against the rain-soaked asphalt. The setting of Neo-York sounds like a typical cyberpunk setting, mixed with a heavy pinch of 1920s American gangster culture. Cybernetic mods and prosthetics accompany Tommy guns and smoke-filled jazz lounges. Gene-modified musicians rub elbows with CEOs of companies selling vat-grown clone technology. Expect action scenes and bloodshed to take centre stage in crescendo of violence in lieu of the perhaps expected clue searching and mystery solving. Neo York only recognises the strong or those willing to punch far above their weight class. Osprey claims these fights will be cinematic and stylized, and the results will change or indelibly mark those characters lucky enough to make it out alive. Crescendo of Violence will hit retail on September the 29th. Those who would rather their gumshoes and gangsters stay in the appropriate time period might better appreciate Hard City. Nathan Russell's upcoming game of granular investigation set in a sandbox city divine through play. The RPG boasts whip-quick character creation that produces competent, yet flawed individuals who are all one bad day away from becoming the monsters they hunt. Campaigns in Hard City follow a series of interconnected mysteries that players can choose to unravel or take advantage of as gangsters, crooked cops and corrupt politicians lord over Hard City's seething underbelly. As in any good, hard-boiled detective novel, a recurring cast of characters will emerge and help shape that table's unique early 20th century sprawl. Compete with recurring faces who will remember a good deed or a knife in the back. Expect to see Hard City on October the 20th of this year.
Each of the three announced RPGs will likely come as at least one core rulebook, but details on that remain slim, as Osprey's announcement only covered broad themes and setting. The company did not mention any crowdfunding plans for the three games, nor the accompanying Jackal's supplement. The addition of Alchemy to Magic the Gathering Arena was controversial from the jump. Wizards of the Coast introduced the format to its trading card game's digital client in hopes of providing designers a way to balance problem cards, while also expanding the number of digital-only offerings. Now, the company says a more definite solution might be needed. A recent blog post on the MTG site laid out the current state of Arena, covering tweaks to controls in preparation for Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, and promising a general slew of bug fixes, ostensibly to address the recent game client instability on both mobile devices and PCs. But the most substantial section covered Wizard's goal for the future of Alchemy, which may include addressing the demands of the new format's most fervent detractors. We're also aware that by including Alchemy cards in Historic, MTG Arena no longer has a true-to-tabletop, non-rotating format, the post reads. We know this is something players want and it's something we want to provide, so we're actively looking into how we'll support an additional Eternal format. If you don't play Arena, and if you especially don't play Historic on Arena, this might seem like a weird sticking point. Well, here's the short version. As sets of cards leave the roughly one-year-long standard rotation on Arena, they enter a format called Historic, alongside all the other sets MTG has released as digital cards. This format is much more stable than standard, and the sheer number of cards provides a rich and varied deck-building space. When Arena first launched, Wizards described Historic as the equivalent to paper formats such as Legacy and Modern, and players understood the space as one of the company would police as little as possible. Certainly, some bans did happen in Historic, but the general reaction was that Wizards' culling of destructively volatile or meta-dominating cards from the herd-protected Historic's fun, Alchemy, on the other hand, indelibly changed many cards in the name of Balance, replacing the older versions in every format. Players saw this action as breaking the covenant in regards to Historic, zealously pruning an otherwise healthy bush. While Alchemy seems to have found a sizeable audience, the price paid left many more frustrated and disillusioned. In the same post, Wizards said it will not be creating a new, separate historic queue that ignores all rebalanced and digital-only cards. Too many queues will split the player base thin and saddle everyone with increased wait times for matchups. Unfortunately, the company isn't ready to announce a solution. Exactly what this upcoming format will be is still under consideration because we want to make the best informed decision we can, Wizards said. That takes time. There are a lot of things we need to consider and solve before we have our answer, because a big part of supporting an eternal format is setting it up for long-term success. The response online largely fixated on one word, Pioneer. The Pioneer format is one that exists in Paper Magic the Gathering and permits all cards stretching back to 2012's return to Ravnica. Introduced in 2019, the goal was to create an updated middle point between the razor-thin modernity of Standard and the deep, often intimidating Ocean of Legacy. Originally planned for Magic Online and physical play, Arena's implementation of the new format existed as recently as 2020 but with the onset of COVID-19 seemingly killed the development. 
it has remained the most sought-after feature by Arena players, next to full-on commander support, and became a rallying cry in the wake of Alchemy's implementation. YouTube creator Seth Saron Olive Manfield summed up the community's feelings by tweeting, I don't think this is at all complicated, isn't the answer pretty clearly pioneer? As explained in a video on the MTG-focused Telerian Community College channel, Pioneer would answer plenty of problems that the community faces, but would inhibit the flow of cash. Wizard of the Coast earns when its player base continuously repurchases the half of their collection that falls out of the standard format every year. A cash flow that strongly contributed to Hasbro, earning over $1 billion in revenue in 2021. The Pioneer format was so close that a dedicated set, Pioneer Masters, was planned for the end of 2020, before being delayed and eventually shelved indefinitely. Wizards of the Coast said at the end of the post that early designs for their next solution will be tested during the summer upcoming midweek magic events. Whether that ends up producing another solution, masquerading as an extension of standard, remains to be seen. Now we're heading on over to crowdfunding now. And first up on Kickstarter this week is Seas of Havoc by Rock Manor Games. It's for 1 to 5 players, takes 45 to 75 minutes. It's for ages 13 years and over, and the project ends on Friday, February the 25th. Seas of Havoc is a naval skirmish game for 1-5 to five players, where you captain a ship and engage in battle through the use of a deck of cards that dictate your ship's movement and cannon fire. Players take on the role of a unique captain of a ship in a naval combat game, where players are competing for the most renown. Each player begins with a unique deck of movement options defined by the ship they've chosen and special abilities dictated by the captain they've selected to command it. The game is split between a combat phase on the high seas and an island phase where players send out their skiffs to work at placement areas to gain resources, improve their decks, repair and even upgrade their ship. During the combat phase, players will play out a hand of cards to manoeuvre their ship, navigating obstacles, searching shipwrecks, and firing cannons at their opponents. Multi-use cards offer options as the battle unfolds, and card bonuses reward smart play. And with two pledge levels, you can pledge for the Quartermaster Pledge at £48 or $65. That will get the base game and the Sea Monster expansion. Or £66 or $89 gets you the Captain Pledge, which gets you the game, the Sea Monster expansion, and the Buried Treasure expansion, which includes upgraded components for the entire game. And next up on Kickstarter is Evolution New World by Crowd Games. It's for 1-4 to four players, it takes 30-60 to 60 minutes to play, it's for 11 years and over, and also ends on Friday, February the 25th. The diversity of living organisms inhabiting our planet is truly astonishing. According to the theory of evolution, random mutations occur all the time, granting new traits to animals and indeed plants. These traits are then tested through natural selection. Animals with beneficial traits propagate more successfully than others. They expand their habitat areas and effectively protect themselves against predators and unfavourable conditions. Such species dominate the ecosystem, while poorly adapted animals become extinct. 
Evolution New World is an updated and extended version of the basic Evolution The Origin of the Species game. It includes both well-known animal traits and new ones, complete with refined descriptions and colourful illustrations. So if you're familiar with the original, food is now generated using area cards and animals can use shelter to hide from predators. And the first pledge is the Evolutionist and that gets you a copy of the base game for £26 or $35. Or you can go for the Master of the Evolution pledge which gets you the game a Butterfly Effect expansion, Kickstarter exclusives and all stretch goals for £37 or $50. And lastly on Kickstarter this week is Trekking Through History by Underdog Games. It's for 2 to 4 players, takes 30 to 60 minutes to play, it's for 10 years and over and it ends on Monday, February the 28th. Trekking Through History invites you to travel through time on a three-day tour of human history, travelling thousands of years in a time machine to meet legendary people and experience beautiful moments from our past. You never know, you might even learn a few things along the way. The game takes place over three rounds, each representing one day of your trip. On each turn, you'll choose to visit one historical event and spend a certain number of hours doing it. Doing so will yield benefits like checking off items on your itinerary for points and earning time crystals so you can indeed bend the space-time continuum on future turns. Along the way, you'll also score points for visiting historical events in chronological order. Each history card illustrates a real historical person or event on one side and tells its story on the other. The team at Underdog Games worked with a team of experts to choose and write these cards, so even history buffs will have lots of new things to discover. During your journey you'll score points in multiple ways including collecting experience tokens and visiting events in chronological order and with 24 unique itineraries to choose from you'll always have a new challenge to pursue. The clock is ticking though. With 12 hours each day to explore and 3 days in total, it's anyone's game till the end. With only one pledge level, getting you the core game, a solo mode expansion along with the time warp expansion, all set you back £37 or $50. And we're heading on over to events and Alan and Dungeon Crawley want to welcome you back to their first game day on Sunday 20th of February. From 10am through to 6pm, over at the First Langley Scout Group Hut, 34 Lark Rise, Crawley, RH11-7QQ. Just £5 per head for the day with tea and coffee on tap. The week after sees Mid-Sussex Meeples back in action on Sunday the 27th of February. The location is Cypress Hall in Cypress Road, Burgess Hill, RH158DX. Day starts at 10 and will run through until 6 £5 per head, as usual with tea, coffee, squash and biscuits on tap. We'll be joined by Burgess Hill Jigsaw Puzzle Swap, who will be hosting a swap table for those in the area and Mid-Sussex Meeple's attendees, should you wish to bring some jigsaws along to donate or indeed swap out to take home. There's no charge for swaps, but like-for-like like swaps would be advantageous. Here come the game weeklies, with Wednesday as Crawley Gaming Community being hosted at the comic shop, 42 High Street, Crawley, RH10, 1BW. 
tended to gather from 6ish onwards until close, £5 per evening with plenty of snacks, drinks, including some insane milkshakes, sweeties and even pizza. Thursdays sees three groups running in the form of Worthing Board Gamers down at the Ardington Hotel, Stein Gardens, Worthing, BN11, 3DZ from 7 o'clock, Davis hosting Lewis Board Game Club at the Trinity Gaming Cafe, Arbinger Place, Lewis, BN7, 2QA from 7pm through to 11pm, welcoming you for an evening of gaming with a tuck shop on site. Jake and Chris would like to welcome you to Dyson Drinks, 79 to 81 Church Walk, Burgess Hill, RH15 9BQ for their Thursday evening social. Entry is just £5 for the evening for refreshments available for purchase in the shop. And Crawley Gaming Club are rising bigger and better than ever with the introduction of the Pokemon peeps. They'll be up and running from 6pm for the Pokemon people and 7 for everyone else over at the Tilgate Community Centre, Shackleton Road, Crawley, RH10 5DF. I do know we have restrictions easing to some degree, but still keep an eye on the socials for any last minute changes to the events. Right, with all that done and you looking a bit better, it's time to go and get our game set up. What are we playing tonight, Brian? Ooh, nutty squirrels, huh? Oakley Doakley, say goodbye to everyone. And it's a goodbye from me. Keep safe, meeples. Keep those dice rolling. The cards shuffling. And we'll be right here for you next week.